We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the show. I'm Sean Styers, joined by Vince D'Addario. Great to have you along with us today. How can you tell it's the middle of July, Vince? Um, it's hot outside, and I have to cut the grass all the time. Well, well it's not know. that hot. I mean, it's you can see you've got to cut yours all the time. I barely have to cut mine because it's so hot and there's no rain. Well, you know, I think you can tell it's the middle of July because an over the hill manager and a quarterback who've been retired who's been retired for like four years, are both trending on Twitter today. Uh, yeah. I don't, know if, I don't know if you saw that. Tony LaRussa, Andrew Luck, both trending. I have no idea why Andrew Luck is trending on Twitter. Tony LaRussa, you know, another one of his boneheaded intentional walks last night. And, you know, everybody's, all these White Sox fans are talking about whether or not he's going to be fired, you know. So I guess as a Cubs fan, you at least have that going for you. You don't have oh, Tony LaRussa as your manager. It's hilarious. I'm sorry. Look, <laughs> and I said this when he was hired. Tony LaRussa was great in his day. Like, yeah. he, he Hall of Fame manager. No question about years it. years ago. Yeah. But there, there, there's a saying out there. The parade has passed him by, Sean Styers. Okay? <laughs> yes. he, he's not a a present-day manager. He needs he, – he belongs in an old folks' home. You know, talking about how it was back in his day, like that's you're gonna go, you're gonna go straight ageism right off the bat, huh? Hundred percent, hundred percent, because he is stuck in the past. Like, I guess he if, if he could, if he could um, adapt and you know use some analytics and do some of the things that the present day managers are doing in front offices, then okay. But he's so old school, like so old school that it hurts him. And yeah. how they didn't see this coming. I just don't know. I'm sorry. I, I just don't know. And the fact that I am a Cubs fan, I despise the White Sox, makes it that much sweeter. And like I said, I respected the heck out of Tony La Russa, even though he managed for the Cardinals. And, right. you know, but man, that was a bad, bad hire. I, with tough. a lot of talent. It's tough. On the south side of Chicago that's just being absolutely wasted right you know and again it's the middle of july now and i think we're past the point where you talk about you know these injuries they had early in the year and all that kind of stuff and it's like you got to start you brought this guy out of retirement for a reason and man that's the only reason i think the guy's going to save his job is because of his relationship with with the owner yeah and it's it's a shame because they're gonna you know i don't like the white Sox either but they're gonna waste all that talent so i guess that's our uh our little our, our baseball blowout at the start of the show. We don't want to lose all our Notre Dame fans right off the bat. You know, no, 
No, we they don't. start throwing the fencing code words out there in the uh, in the YouTube live chat. <laughs> Speaking of YouTube, of course, don't forget throw us those likes, subscribe. Uh, you know, when you're on the pod, the uh, the uh, audio podcast platforms, you can follow us, you can rate us, you can comment. All those good things. It all helps out the channel. We're going to be talking, as you can tell, you know, by the title. Brian really spiced up the title of yeah, the show did. for us. The chops. Because the, the topic for today's show came from, we were talking about it a couple of days ago. I wrote the article last week about Bill Polian and his 11 guidelines for hiring a head coach. And what I did is I went, he, he wrote a book, pulled some stuff out of there, you know, kind of what he had to say about his different guidelines. We're going to go through them here in a little bit. Right. You know, so that's going to be kind of our main topic. I wanted to throw this at you first. And we, Jesse and I kicked this one of a couple of different topics that we kicked around yesterday on the show, Vince. I wanted to throw this at you. We were going to talk about it not too long ago. Right. And then all this conference realignment stuff kind of came up and it sort of fell to the back burner a little bit. And so Jesse and I brought it up last night. I, I don't. I was maybe a little bit surprised at, at sort of the you know, and I don't know if you heard us talk about it or, or I did or not. What, but so, if you had to pick one of these two scenarios, which would you pick for Notre Dame? You win at Ohio State and then you lose to Clemson in November, or you lose by at least two touchdowns to Ohio State to open the season, but then you win against Clemson in November. Which one of those two, if you've got to pick one of those two scenarios, which are you going to go with? You know, it's funny because, you know, back in like, you know, if you were on the debate team and you had to pick, you know, an argument, I could make a case for both of these arguments being beneficial to Notre Dame. I I could make a case, right? If, if I'm, if I get to choose which one I actually want, I would want to lose earlier <laughs> than later, I guess. And and I know that it's by at least two touchdowns, which means it's a blowout, which means the experts were right with the spread that they've put out there, sure. and, which I think is fairly disrespectful to Notre Dame right now, but whatever. I would choose that one because if they are, I mean, the college football playoff is all about what have you done for me lately? And we've seen mm-hmm. that time in and time, time again about, Teams that struggled early in the season but then finished on a high note. Clemson has a good opportunity to be a top-five team in November. You beat them. That catapults you so much better than if you had all the momentum going into that game. You lose at home to Clemson. You don't have a whole lot left of ground to make up at that point in the season. You got a USC team sitting out there, okay, but you don't have as much opportunity at that point. So I'm going to take the loss against Ohio State, even though it's a blowout fashion, and you win the next 11 games, which includes USC, Clemson, et cetera. I'll take that all day. Yeah, see, now we've got differing opinions in the YouTube chat right now. John says, I think the big loss to Ohio State kills our momentum, while Chris says, take the Ohio State (laughs) loss for sure. <laughs> I get it, man. I get where John's coming from. I totally get it because yeah. going into the season, there is a ton of momentum, a ton of excitement around the Notre Dame program. Somebody earlier in the show that we did, what I did with Ryan today, said, don't overreact to the Ohio State game no matter what happens. Right. And I think that yes. is so important. Even if Notre Dame wins that game, there's still a lot of games to play. It's a huge win, but tamp down the excitement you know they're not going to be cast in the statue of marcus freeman yet but if they lose it's not the end of the world 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Two things. One, I agree with kind of what you were saying. The earlier you lose, you're better off losing early. And that, you know, you, you know you've got to win out at that point, you know, so maybe right. there's a little Absolutely. bit pressure. But at the same time, I've always felt like you're better off losing an early game, especially to a quality opponent now the right. fact that it would be by at least two touchdowns maybe that's where it gets a little bit touchier you know and like I said right when we were talking about it as long as it's not you know like one of these 45 to 10 games you know like if it's a relatively close game and you know it ends up you know turning into a two plus touchdown game at the end you know I I just think that if you lose that game in November that's going to knock you farther back right. out of play you know and this is obviously assuming you're taking care of business in the other games and For all sure. that stuff I feel like if you lose that game to Clemson, one, it's a home game. Whereas at Ohio State, again, it's a road game. You know, Marcus Freeman's going back to his alma mater. For, you know, first true game as the head coach, first time quarterback on the road, all these different fact, you know, new coaching staff. There, there's all these different factors that I think you can kind of write it off to if it were to happen. Now, it, it feels like because there's definitely sort of more people it seems like who are who are on the oh you got to beat Ohio State I get you want to beat Ohio oh, 100%. State in a statement and I'm not I'm not advocating that you want to lose this game but I still just feel like you're probably better off in the big picture losing that Ohio you know if it came to that you know between these two scenarios again right. you've got to pick one of these scenarios nobody wants either one of these scenarios but between the two I feel like you're better you're still better off you can you know, you can put the loss on a lot of different things as long as you take care of your business and then you're gaining momentum throughout the course of the season. Again, the Clemson game is at home, so you wouldn't want to lose that game at right. home. This is a road game at Ohio State. So I, I just I feel like you would still be better off in that scenario if you had to pick between the two. I will say this, though, Sean, if if you're telling me that Notre Dame wins the rest of their game, so either way, they're 11 and one. And that loss is either at Ohio State or it is home against Clemson. They're right. eleven and one at the end of the season. I still got a really strong case for making the playoff, depending on what the other teams in the country have done. The odds of there being four undefeated twelve and zero teams are very slim, right? Because if you go conference by conference, if you beat Ohio State and lose to Clemson, 
you're at least looking at an 11 and one Ohio State team. And right. when you Notre Dame beat them, so they technically would have the edge over Ohio State. They wouldn't have the edge over the ACC champ. That would be Clemson. Probably don't have the edge over the SEC champ, whoever that is. Do we really think that there's going to be a competition with Notre Dame and whoever comes out of the Pac-12 or the Big 12? I doubt it. So Notre Dame still has a great opportunity to make it into the playoff at 11-1, and but they've got way more momentum if they've just gone 11-0 and with that win being at the beginning as opposed right. to – what is it like nine games or so before the Clemson game? So you're nine and zero, and then you finish the season like one and two, or two and one. Yeah, it's not as much momentum, right? So I'm still taking the Ohio State loss, but I got a real good argument for both of those scenarios to make it into the playoff. Yeah, for sure. I, because if both of those teams, if either you know, if if they're both what everyone thinks they're going to be this year, then they're the quote unquote quality losses you can still sort of work your way around them if they are what they're supposed to be and you know we had somebody say yesterday well it didn't help Notre Dame when they lost to Cincinnati well one it was Cincinnati and again it was a home loss to Cincinnati and you know Notre Dame ended up right behind Cincinnati that's the thing in the the rankings if Cincinnati had lost one more game Notre Dame was going to get into the playoff most likely and if Alabama gets upset by yeah, uh, Auburn, right? They should have lost that game. If they lose that game, Notre Dame's in. And it's not even a discussion, right. right? If they lose in the SEC championship game to Georgia, they're in. So there, there were a lot of, and that's why I put the caveat, depending on what other teams around the country do, Notre Dame would be in at 11-1. and 11-1 and right. obviously didn't get them in last year, but there were circumstances surrounding them where, it, and I would have made them fifth as well. I would have. I would have made them fifth as well. I think that actually turned out the way it should have based on the way everything went, right? But Alabama didn't get that loss that everybody was hoping that they were going to get late in the season. If they did, Notre Dame's in. And yes, Drunk Vigo, Auburn choked so hard. That was so disappointing to watch. Oh my gosh. It was Running back just needed to stay in bounds. I mean, all it came down. That's it. That's all he had to do, and they don't have time. It just that's right. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. That's right. All right, so that takes care of that. You're, I wasn't sure which way you would swing. Jesse was on the other side. We had a lot of fans yesterday on the other Ooh. side. It seems a little bit more down the middle today. We're both in agreement. You know, and again, you don't. You, I think a lot of people are just hyped up to have the opportunity to go to Ohio State, Absolutely. you know, and all that kind of stuff. And that's that's you know, I think. It's it's built up, you know. A lot of people are excited for that opportunity, and they don't want to squander an opportunity to absolutely to beat a team like Ohio State on the road. If you reverse the teams for the schedule, right? I'm, I would yeah. pick, I would pick whoever that first team is that I would rather lose to, right? right. Not necessarily Ohio State. And I will also say this: if if both teams are in the same slot in the schedule and and all things are considered equal, I want to beat Ohio State more than I want to beat Clemson because. Notre Dame has beat Clemson in the recent history. Say, they haven't yeah, beaten Ohio a State. Years ago, right? They haven't beaten Ohio State. Okay. I would much rather beat Ohio State, all other things being equal. But since it's the first game, if I have to pick, I'll pick that one. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Okay. So let's move on to our main topic. Yeah, baby. Today. So wrote this article last week. Bill Polian. I almost said Brian. Bill Pol. Of course, Bill is Brian's <laughs> father. Right. Bill Polian, great former NFL executive, hired Marv Levy 
Marv Levy took the Bills to four Super Bowls. He hired Tony Dungy. Tony Dungy won a Super Bowl in Indianapolis. And Bill Polian has this book, The Game Plan, The Art of Building a Winning Football Team. Second chapter of the book is all about hiring the coach. Deciding on the decision maker is the name of the chapter. And in this chapter, he details 11 guidelines for the selection of the head coach. Hiring the right head coach is the most important piece to building a successful football program, according to Polian. Get it right, you have a good chance of being successful for a long time. Get it wrong, you'll likely find yourself going backward in a hurry. It'll cost you two things you never get back, time and money. And Truth. You know, we've seen that here at Notre Dame playing out before, right? You know, that continuing cycle before Brian Kelly showed up and, you know, got the, the ship, you know, going in the right direction. Now, BK gone, in comes Marcus Freeman. So what I did, I took Polian's 11 criteria for what's important to hiring a head coach, see how they applied mm-hmm. to Marcus Freeman here at Notre Dame. Any initial thoughts from you on this little uh, process we're about to go through here? I I have never I guess maybe been organized enough to break down something like this, like 11 different criteria for hiring a coach. But I can tell you right now, after reading through it and and hearing what you had to say in your article and just reading through the criteria, it makes a lot of sense, man. And I'll tell you what, it makes a lot of sense for hiring a coach, no matter what the sport is, I would say as well. Yeah. And so yeah. that's something that, I'm frankly going to use if I ever have to hire a coach or, or what, even an assistant coach, you know what I mean? Like I like this and it is very spelled out. And I think, I don't think it misses anything. uh, If you're talking about what you need for a coach, I don't think it misses anything, which I think is really important. Right. So you want to just go through this like one by one, each of these 11 guidelines. Okay. That's a good idea. So organization is at the top of Bill Polian's list. He says it ranges from how he organizes his playbook to his practice plans, year-round staff assignments to his off-season program. Each of those areas and many more must be laid out in writing and explained completely step-by-step, especially with a candidate who has never been a head coach before. And that's, you know, Marcus Freeman. So again, we took these 11 guidelines from Bill Polian and applied them to Marcus Freeman. And I mean, you know, we, we obviously haven't seen Freeman's playbooks and, you know, any of that kind of stuff. We've been able to see a little bit of his practice, even though we haven't necessarily seen all the practice plans, but he has changed things up a bit. Yeah. Things ran smoothly during spring practice, you know, during the blue gold game as well. So, you know, it, it really feels like, you know, especially like when you, you know, just the recruiting aspect, again, even though it's not an X and O thing, when you look at how, you know, coordinated <laughs> Mm-hmm. And everywhere he's been in recruiting, you know, I think he, he comes across as a very organized head coach so far. I will say that based on watching practice, those few practices that we got to see leading up to the bowl game, he ha- he he has a certain way he wants to do things and a certain way he wants to get things done. And it was implemented very quickly and it was implemented very smoothly, in my opinion. The, the kids took to it and they enjoyed it and I think that they appreciated it. So from that aspect, I think, great. I will also say that you, you kind of you took what I was going to say, so I won't go too far into it, but the recruiting aspect, I think, tells you a lot about who he is and his mm-hmm. organization. And that's Chad Bowden as well. I mean, he's in charge of the recruiting operation, but Marcus Freeman brought Chad in. So that has to be, you know what I mean? If yeah. Chad's not going to do something that Marcus Freeman doesn't have his blessing on. And so 
He wouldn't have brought him in if he didn't believe in what he could do from a recruiting standpoint. So that tells me that Marcus Freeman knows what he's doing and has a very, very tight lock on the way recruiting operates. Let's be honest, the proof's in the pudding. With the guys that they're getting, it's obviously working. So I, I think big check mark here for number one. I agree. So again, these are Bill Polian's 11 guidelines for hiring a head coach. One is organization, two, leadership. And Polian says, does he have the philosophical approach, verbal skills, physical presence, stability, and courage to lead and motivate the coaching staff, the players, and the support staff? And I'll let you start this one off with your thoughts. I'll tell you what, I don't think that there's any doubt about this one. I, I think he comes off, I mean, he's young, he's energetic. He comes off as a leader. He comes off as somebody, when I hear him talk, and this goes back to when he was being interviewed, kind of going through the cycle when he was the defensive coordinator, and he was being interviewed by Brian last July, or he was being interviewed by Chris Zorich or whatever. <clears throat> when he talked, he was mesmerizing. Like, that's a leader. You know, I I, I think Chris Zorich is the one that said it. He's like, Coach, if I had any availability or any kind of ability left <laughs> in my body, it. I would I would want to play with I'm you. I'm going to play for you, you right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> but that says something, right? I mean, Chris Zorich is a college football Hall of Famer, right? right. So he – evokes that leadership and that like i said it started when he was a defensive coordinator and that's why so many people were like yes that's got to be the next head coach at notre dame and so i think he's got leadership i think he's just oozing with leadership yeah i agree and i mean you know again like he's the main guy in recruiting he's the guy leading you know all these daily staff meetings and you know just everything that he's doing he hangs out with the grad assistants and makes sure that you know he's in the quarterback room and all these different things and you know he's admitted what he doesn't know as well right. he, he's not going to stand up there and trying to convince you that he's the smartest guy in the room you know he's he's willing to you know to take it when he when he has to take it you know like when he said look I'm not a quarterback guru you know and he's he's willing to you know to see that to Tommy Reese so yeah I think you know another big check mark Yes, on, on this list as and we go through. I will say, just to play devil's advocate a little bit, sometimes he's almost a little too honest uh, about some stuff, and I'm I'm interested to see what that looks like going through the season. It doesn't necessarily have anything to do with his leadership, but just he's honest, man, and he like he will tell you what's up. I mean, do you do we really think that if BK was the head coach, that he would have told people? the media, the fans, that Tyler Buckner tripped walking down the stairs. Like, I don't see him saying that. You know what I mean? Right. For better or worse. Probably true. Marcus Freeman puts it out there. He is honest in the letters that he's written, that he's honest in interviews. It's gotten him in a little bit of hot water at times. I don't think it's a big deal. But he's almost honest to a fault. And I personally, I think that's awesome. But we'll see how that plays out throughout the season. Yeah. No, that's a good point. That's a good point. But again, you know, again, he's he's young and <laughs> yeah, he's hasn't learning. been in this kind of spot <laughs> before. Right. You know, that's that's like you know, one of the only things. So number three on Polian's list is communication. Can he teach or is he a lecturer? A teacher gets everyone involved. He's able to illustrate his lessons with real life examples, sometimes funny parables. He gets his students invested in what he's teaching. A lecturer just stands at the podium. And you know, again, a lot of these things are kind of intertwined. Sure. with each other but you know i think if you're going to go to the core of why marcus freeman 
is a successful coach and why he's a great recruiter. It's ultimately, you know, a 36 year old first time head coach. I think it starts with his communication skills and you don't, you don't connect with recruits and, you know, kids the way that you do the way that he does. If you're not a great communicator, you know, like I, I go back to, and I mentioned this, you know, like remember when Braylon James, the wide receiver out of Texas committed, you know, one of the first things, that he said when he was asked why he committed, it was, you know, because Marcus Freeman and his staff spent time getting to know him, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it's, it's, it, it, it shouldn't be a, a revolutionary, but you know, it, it almost is, you know, compared to kind of what we just got out of. Right. You know, and then there's, you know, there's like the video of Freeman when CJ Carr was here at camp and, you know, he kind of gives him that, that little tap in the back and they're kind of joking around and stuff like that. You can just, it's, it's just very obvious that Marcus Freeman it has a way of communicating with everyone around him. Yes. I completely agree with that. Not a whole lot to add to it. It's a huge check Mark for him at the moment. Um, he communicates extremely well, extremely well from what I can tell and from what I've witnessed and everything else. So that's a, it's a big check Mark again. So we're, we're three in and I've got three check marks over three here for three. Three for three. three for three. This is this this exercise is going too easy. For, I know uh, for Marcus Freeman and yeah. Bill Polian's eleven guidelines for hiring. There'll be a few. Coach. There'll be a few. You know, dissenting things coming up though. I think so. Yeah. Number probably not this one, but number four is emotional stability. Can he function well under pressure from players, staff, ownership, fans, and the press? Now, of course, ownership. Bill Polian's talking about an NFL guy, but you know, administration. Yeah, that's true. You know, that basically takes the place of it. Yeah, athletic if director. There was, if there was a glaring mark against Brian Kelly, this was it, right? Oh, <laughs> you know, yeah. Like the way, you know, look, I guess in his defense, he's, you know, really competitive guy, a fiery guy and all that kind of stuff. And if you're that kind of guy, that's going to show when you're under pressure. Sure. You know, and that that came back to bite Brian Kelly. We, you know, we don't we don't need to, to get into that. What we don't know, though is what exactly Marcus Freeman looks like under exactly. fire. Agreed. Right. That's because again, we just, we, we have not seen that before. Right. So that's a big question that has to be answered. Now we, based on his demeanor, we can relatively, you know, come to the conclusion that he's sure. probably going to be okay. But again, he hasn't had that face the fire, you know, when, when things went wrong in the fourth quarter and, you know, everything blew up and, and, you know, in his face or, you know, there's bad snaps in a hurricane or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. So TBD, TBD. And I agree with that completely because we haven't seen it yet. We haven't seen him in the throes of the fire and the pressure. And, you know, let's say he goes on a bit of a losing streak. Let's say he loses two in a row or whatever, which is, would be completely unexpected and not okay. How does he handle that situation? I think that is actually something that we're going to have to find out. I think he'll be okay, but there's plenty of people out there also, though, that didn't like the fact that when things were starting to go south in the Fiesta Bowl, he was, you know, no emotion, just right. You know, maybe there needed to be a little bit more, you know, fire, you know, so. I, I think to be determined is a very good thing to put here. This is not a check because we just don't know. There's too many questions about that. I think it's going to be okay, but I don't know. And so that's definitely a TBA for me. Yeah. And and that's, you know, because again, like you look at that Fiesta Bowl, not, not just maybe sort of emotionally, you know, there were a couple points where what are you going to do 
in this, you know, like the right. end of the first half, are you going to go for, you know, you still had an opportunity maybe to score. You decided not to go, you know, those kind of things, you know, and then obviously the end of the game and, you know, just some different points where you had yeah. some opportunity, you know, like, again, how are you going to, how are you going to handle and, all of that? Especially when the tough questions come, because sure. again, and they're coming. You know, the tough questions haven't come, come his way yet by any means. And, and I will also say, um, I have no idea what I was going to say. It just completely <laughs> left my brain, but that's okay. Um, I, 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 yeah, I think TBD is the way to go with this. I, I'm fairly comfortable with that. We'll see what happens. Right. All right. So number five on Bill Polian's list is vision. Polian says, this is the most important quality of them all. Does he have a clear picture of how he wants his team to look and play? Can he articulate it verbally? And... I've got the quote here. I don't want to leave and in writing verbally and in writing. What do you think about this one, Vince? I, so we were not in on the interviews, right? So I think that that is where a lot of that vision was put forth. And I think it obviously hit home with Jack Swarbrick, with father Jenkins, et cetera. What I will say from what he has shared with everyone else, to me, his vision is the golden standard that, and that, and he outlined that for everybody at the press conference. Right. Right. And exactly. I hope I'm not stealing your thunder from your article because I purposely did not go back and read your article again, but it might've just okay. been implanted in my head if you had mentioned okay. that, but I did, but yeah, I figured. Okay. So, <laughs> but it's, it's great minds think alike. Um, but the golden standard is his vision and he outlined it in his opening press conference. It's like, right. this is what we're going to be. This is the way I see things being successful. He's Challenge cool. everything, unit yeah. strength, competitive spirit, and you know and that that's that's, that's basically it you know like yeah the three big points right there. and yeah. clearly he sat down and he's thought about it he's got a vision for what a program was going to be when he took over and now he gets to implement it that's a vision he's got it that's a check yeah that's exactly right and yeah and again he didn't you know he didn't have like an acronym like a lot of coaches you know any of that kind of stuff but he had his golden standard and he rolled out his golden standard right away and, right you know it, it all made you know and it's basically we expect to win a national championship all these things together going to win a national championship so number six on bill polian's 11 guidelines for hiring a head coach strategy is he mentally prepared to make decisions on the sideline or does he react does he have direct responsibility for key strategic decisions in other words is he the guy making them or is he going to lean on somebody else he's got to be the one to decide whether to go for it on fourth and goal. And, you know, this kind of like we were touching on this a little bit, you know, like if we use the Fiesta Bowl as -hmm. our example, you know, he's only got the one game as a head coach. And that's kind of all that we have to go, you know, go on right now. And decisions are different when you're the head coach versus being, you know, any kind of assistant coach, because it all funnels to you. You're, you know, you're, you're the one and you've got your headset on, you know, if you're a headset guy, which he is, and, You've got all these different guys in your ears and, you know, you can lean on this guy, you can lean on that guy, but ultimately you're the one who has to make the call. And that's, you know, you know, again, there were a couple points there in that Fiesta Bowl where, you know, maybe, you know, if he had it to do over again, he makes a different decision. But I think we were talking the other day about how what he has done Mm -hmm. with this offseason is gone back and he's watching game film of both, Notre Dame and uh, Notre Dame's opponents and looking at the last four minutes of the first half, last four minutes of the second half and kind of putting himself through this little, you know, sort of mind play 
okay, how am I going to handle this situation as they come? So, you know, it's, it's something that he recognized that, that, you know, as an inexperienced head coach that he needs to get up on. So he's at least working on it, but for sure. right now, to me, at the very least, this is an incomplete, if not, you know, maybe, you know, a little bit, you know, because of what we did see in the Fiesta Bowl the other way. Yeah, no, it, of all of the 11 criteria that we're going to go through, this is the closest one I would have to an X, right? right? Because of the limited knowledge that we have of of him as a head coach on the sidelines, I did not like the fact that he didn't take over the defense in the second half, you know, the second half of the second half. So we'll call it the fourth quarter. Um, I understand why he did it. I get it. I totally understand it. I didn't like it. Right. I I don't, I think, you know, him not going for points at the end of the first half. I think that's a bit of second guessing at the time. I was like, it's fine. They got plenty of points. You know, they're good. You know, they had a 28 to seven lead, I think going into half, if, if I remember right, but either way, this is the closest thing to an X for me. It's the closest thing. I think I would still say it's to be determined because right. I want to have more, you know, information before I need a bigger know, body of work to go. Absolutely. Off of. But yeah. of all of them, of all 11 criteria, this is the closest one to saying, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. Um, but again, I need more, I need more, uh, body work. And then I can, you know, definitively say it's like, if we revisited this at the end of next year, then the next season, I think that would be a lot of fun to do. Maybe some things would change. Maybe this one would change, but this is the most negative one for me right now. Yeah, just and it's just because money at work. Because this is the one that is gained by what he doesn't have, and that's experience as yes. a head coach. Absolutely. Because again, yeah. Yeah. you can be you can be a defensive coordinator and make your calls as a, you know defense and all that kind of stuff. But again, head coaches is, is the one that it that it ultimately falls on to make all these decisions. Are you going to go for it on fourth and one, or you know, right? Are you going to run? Are you going to you know, again, like, you know, they're toward the end, you know, when when they're throwing, you know, they throw an incomplete pass in the Fiesta Bowl rather than running the ball and keeping the clock running. And, you know, those kind of things at the end of the first, sure. all those different things like that. Yes. Yeah. But he's taking the steps to correct that. So I will give him that bit of it. Right. He looked he looked at the way things went and he's like, you know what? This is something I'm not good at yet. This is something I need to improve. And so now he's taking the offseason to improve that part of things that makes me excited that leads me to believe he's going to get a check mark for this eventually right now it's the most negative thing on this list right just got to get that experience all right so number seven of bill polian's guidelines flexibility polian says first can he change the nuts and bolts of his program to adjust to circumstances without changing his approach to the fundamentals changing your tactical approach is not the same as changing your fundamental approach secondly can he be flexible and take advantage of circumstances, or does he buy someone else's program, lock, stock, and barrel? So what do you think about this, Vince? You know, this one's interesting. I I would say as an assistant coach, this is a check mark. This is this is something for him because he had to make changes last year from the way things were going the first few games of the season. He even went in front of the, the players and said, Look, I made a mistake. This is how we're gonna do things from here on out. That was my fault. You know, he put the onus on himself. He changed some things and the way that they prepare and the way that he makes some calls and the way they communicate and some things like that. That's seeing that things aren't working and changing them. So as an assistant coach, I think he's got that. I think it's TBD as far as head coach, right? And so it's a little bit TBD, but at the same time, I think he's going to use that experience as an assistant coach to push forward and have this be a strength of his. 
No, yeah, and those are all good points. You know, I, I guess the biggest thing we've kind of seen, you know, outwardly anyway, in terms of flexibility is the fact that he thought he was inheriting almost a full coaching staff. And then all of a sudden, True. you know, Definitely. McNulty leaves and Taylor leaves and Elston leaves. And all of a sudden it's like, well, I thought I had all these guys and we were all going to be, you know, in this together. And then he had to go out and hire, you know, a bunch of new assistants for his staff. Yeah, now, you know, again, we think it's worked out, but he, so he kind of had to roll with it there at the beginning, you know, some, some things that he didn't think that he was going to have to do. And it, you know, again, like when you look at, at the way it's all turned out, it sure seems like it's turned out pretty well, you know? So it, it, it really does seem like he's, uh, yeah. you know, he's, he's a little bit of Gumby in him, right? You know, yes. he's, he's pliable. Gotta, he's... He can bend. Yeah, that's right. That's, right. <laughs> that's a good point about the coaching staff too, because he did have to change kind of midstream, right? That's one of the things we applauded about Marcus Freeman is that, Hey, he's, he kept good coaches on the staff. He got rid of kind of some of the dead weight. And that was really good. And then all of a sudden, these guys were leaving for better jobs. You know, they weren't leaving because of Marcus Freeman. They were right. leaving for what they believe was a better job. I'll say that for Mike Elston. And the other two guys got offensive coordinator jobs. So, but then he had to kind of change midstream. And I think he went out and nailed it as far as his coaches that he brought in. So, yeah, yeah absolutely. Sure seems like it. Sure seems like it. All right. So, number nine on the Bill Polian list is public relations. Essentially, here's what Polian says. Essentially, it boils down to can he handle himself well in this media maelstrom that he's forced to endure these days? I wouldn't disqualify someone if he wasn't good at that as long as he was willing to work with a professional who could coach him up and let him get through uh, what really is trial by fire every day. You know, and again, we kind of touched on a little bit of this with the emotional yeah. stability thing, you know, but again, you know, this is. You know, I guess I would say a couple of different things to this. One, this is Notre Dame. You know, when you, again, as as sort of high profile as Marcus Freeman was as a defensive coordinator when he came in, and as much as everybody loved him, it's still, you know, it's still a different microscope that you're under when you're the head coach at Notre Dame. Uh, so it, there's there's a difference there. But, you know, at the same time, you know, like when you talk about, you know, media and all that stuff, you know, we got a ton of media access during the spring. He came out a couple of times. The assistant yeah. coaches came out, some of them twice. The players all came out. Early and rolly freshmen. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and that's something that, uh, you know, we hadn't seen before. So, so yeah, that was, uh, that was a big difference. No, it was a huge, absolutely. Yeah, I, he's. The willingness he, to be there, I guess. He's not afraid of that by any exactly. means. Exactly. And there, there have definitely been people that have been afraid to let other people talk and afraid that they weren't going to toe the company line, you know, that kind of stuff. And right. he's not afraid to He's allowing these guys to be kids and be vocal and have get their stuff out there. And I will also say in this new world of NIL, allowing these guys to get their personalities out there allows them to potentially cash in on NIL. Yeah. Because when it comes to making money in that, you know, in that arena – having your personality out there is absolutely huge and he's allowing that to happen. And he can tell kids, Hey, you're going to be able to meet the media. You're going to be able to get your name out there. You're going to be able to get your brand out there. I'm going to allow that unlike other people. And so there you go. When we talk about NIL, it's just, it's bigger than just blank checks, right? It, there's more to it than yeah. that. And I think that Marcus Freeman embraces that. I do. Yep. Absolutely. And that's a good point about the NIL because that's, that's, I think really big now. Like you can't, 
I, I think it's going to be harder and harder to hide freshmen the way, you know, we used to see, you know, hide them, stow them away from the media. You've got to yeah. get out, especially, especially now with the recruiting that he's doing where they're coming in more highly, t- you know, they're going to be coming in more highly yeah. touted than we've seen in a while. You can't, you can't just stash those freshmen away and say, Oh, you can't talk to them till mid season or, you know, the end of the season or whatever it happens to be. So I, I think, yeah, like the fact that they brought out, mid-season enrollees in January that that said a lot about you know kind of a new foot forward yeah absolutely it did I I think we missed one Sean number eight you're right and I'm going to go back and I okay. appreciate you you texted me hey don't forget number eight I, I scrolled I right past thought. it that's my, on my list here so number eight on Polian's list is the ability to judge talent he's got to be able to see the potential rather than just saying this is college player a and this is college player b he's got to be able to see the potential of college player A versus college player B. And again, you know, Polian's talking about evaluating college, you know, because his background is the NFL. But I mean, you 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 put this up to the recruiting, and it's a no-brainer on this one to me. This is the bit. This might be the biggest check mark of them all, right? Yeah. I mean, that's he 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 started knocking it out of the park with recruiting when he came in as the defensive coordinator, and he's only accelerated that as the head coach on the offensive side of the ball. So. Absolutely, this is a huge check mark, and you, I'm sorry, I can't even play devil's advocate on this one. Like he's doing, <laughs> there's no way job. to right, right. There's he's doing no a great way. job. He's got the number one class, and and you know, in the 23 and 24, I believe still. Uh, but either way, we're talking to number, top five. Went to number class. two for for this okay. year, right behind the team. Of course, they're going to be playing to open the season. Of course, and look, it's not going to happen overnight. Okay. And there's, they still don't even have a quarterback in this class yet. And then the number two class in the country. So yeah. I'd say that that's doing pretty good. Yep. All right. So number 10, we're almost through this list now. Number 10 on oh. Bill Polian's list, player respect. Does his knowledge, leadership, teaching ability, approach to squad morale and discipline and his personal habits and dignity earn player respect? Do they look up to him? Is his approach to discipline fair? Do his personal bearing, conduct, well, this this my, my sheet here kind of uh, cut off. <laughs> conduct and dignity, which encompasses work ethic, temperament, personal habits, et cetera, generate respect from players. I mean, just go back to the locker room video when Bingo. he was hired in December. I think that pretty much says it all, right? <laughs> if, if, if you play that video, that's all you need to know about player respect. That's right. And – it's not because they weren't excited because he's their best friend, right? They they respected him as a head coach. They respected what he was about. He's going to hold them accountable when stuff doesn't go the way it's supposed to go and, and if they step out of line. But they knew he was the right man for the job, and they wanted him. And, yeah, that video pretty much says it all. He clearly is respected by the players. That's not going to change anytime soon. He's not going to lose this locker room. I don't see that ever happening no matter what. And that's huge. It, to have that ability is is massive. Yes, and we've got one final guideline of Bill Polian's 11 guidelines for hiring a head coach. Number 11, character. Polian says it boils down to one thing. Do you want this man as a standard bearer for your franchise? And I mean, Marcus <laughs> Freeman has pretty much said and done everything right so far. You know, he's, you know, everyone speaks highly of him. The recruits, you know, the elite ones, you know, who, who he's out there, who, you know, we were previously told were unattainable at Notre Dame. They're all flocking to commit, you know, to Marcus Freeman right now. And there yep. just don't seem to be too many gray areas with this guy. So again, this is uh this is another big check mark. 
for me as we finish off this list. Yeah, I mean, how, how could this not be? I mean, he comes off as a as a man of character. I mean, he's got a wife and six kids, and they're at practice. And, you know, he makes a point to say that he wants these guys to, to grow up to not only be, you know, professional football players, but to be men and husbands and fathers and all of those different things. And he it, he puts his money where his mouth is, in my opinion, as far or his actions where his mouth is. Right. By having his kids around and, you know, modeling what it's like to be a father and a husband and all of that. Like that's character to me. And that's what one of the things that I respect about him as well. And so, you know, he and he he went through some trials and tribulations in his playing career and his coaching career, all these different things. And, you know, he's the head football coach at Notre Dame at the age of 36 and he hasn't forgotten what got him there. And I think that that's really important as well. I agree. All right. So that's the list, you know, and again, it's, you, you go through those and not that Jack Swarbrick, you know, maybe he read the book. I don't know. Again, he came from Indianapolis, <laughs> obviously, but I mean, it's like when you look through and it's like, you look at how many things match up with Marcus Freeman. Again, the only thing that he really has working against him is just the inexperience. You know, I don't even think the age is, is a factor. Just the inexperience no. as a head coach. That's the biggest thing. Yep. I agree. And I, I mean, I just counted it up. I've got nine guaranteed check marks out of the 11, and then yeah. I've got two to be determined because he's coached one game. Give me a season, and I can go back and probably put check marks at those two as well. And so I don't think I would take any check marks away from any of the other ones. I mean, I guess that's possible, but I tell you, I, he he checks an awful lot of boxes. If that was like if, – if there was a committee of people hiring and all they did was hand out those 11 things – to all the people on the committee, and they're like, okay, as we go through this, you check those boxes as we go. I mean, gosh, he nailed them. He nailed it. I mean, we started off the podcast kind of making fun of Tony LaRussa, right? And I mean, like we just went through these 11 guidelines with Marcus Freeman. He hit 9 of 11. I don't think Tony LaRussa's hit 9 of 11. You know, if, <laughs> like if you held him up, this list and we went back through it and did it with Tony Russo. Do you? <laughs> uh no, I don't think he would get that um respective players, you know, a lot of these guys have never even heard of Tony LaRusso before he became uh -huh. the manager, which is the sad part because those are all a bunch of kids. But um yeah, there's a lot of things in there that probably would not have gone over well. But I know I think it's a great list. I, I love this list, man. I'm telling you you can use this list to hire any coach for any sport yeah. and I yeah. and, and apply it. And if they check those boxes, man, you got a good person. I think so. I think so as well. Great list. And, uh, you know, didn't realize we're going to be out of here selling books for Bill Polian, but you know, at the very least we gave you a good chapter hey. from the book, you know, excerpts from a good chapter in the book. He doesn't need any more money. That's for sure. But you no. know, he no, can that's right. funnel some our way. That would be okay. Absolutely. All right, so we've got a, uh, a few minutes here. We can kind of hit some uh, rapid-fire type questions Ooh, at the nice. end. Of course, we have Billy Joel. It's not quite two weeks since the Billy Joel concert. And just the other day, the Fighting Irish Twitter account asked the simple question, who would you want to rock Notre Dame Stadium next? So who would you want? What musical Man. act would you want to see next at Notre Dame Stadium? See, this is a hard one for me. We've talked about this in the past. I'm not a music guy. Yeah, you and so this, music. I actually went to a concert last night, okay, and which is why I wasn't on oh, the that's show. That's right. That's right. And we made a mistake by 
getting tickets in the quote unquote pit. And so didn't realize that the pit meant that you're standing, you know, shoulder to shoulder with a bunch of strangers, like right up next to the stage. Right. I am too stinking old to be standing up for an entire concert, man. I'll tell you that right now. That was a mistake. Uh, concert was good. That part was bad. That was a, that was a mistake. But, you know, as far as music is concerned, you know, we went and saw Walker Hayes last night. I thought his, I thought he did a really, really good job. I thought it was a really, really good concert. I don't think he could fill up, you know, Notre Dame Walker Stadium. Hayes ain't packing Notre no. Dame Stadium. That's so. what I'm saying. I, I'm just saying <laughs> I haven't been to a ton of concerts, right? Yeah. And so it's hard for me to kind of say. I'm wondering where your head is at with this. I mean, are you thinking like, I, I'll let you well, say it. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Number one on my list would be Springsteen. I, that's what I was going to say, too. Okay. Still, you know, and Springsteen could fill the stadium. That would be a really cool one, I think. that would. So that would be at the top of my list. You know, and like, let's be honest, everyone they've had so far is skewed to a little bit older demographic. It has. Right. Well, those but, are the ones spending the money, though. I mean, no, I, that's right. You know, and yeah. but part of this, too, is like there are only a select few, you know, acts who can come close to filling a football stadium, you know, like Billy Joel, Garth Brooks, obviously, you know, like the ones that get brought up all the time, Bon Jovi. And I think that that would be a great one, but I've also heard, and you know, that, that maybe John's voice, you know, because he's getting a little bit older now that like, it, it sounds like he might be having some vocal cord issues, you know, so I, cause there's like a natural connection, obviously. So, you know, so I don't know, you know, if maybe that has anything to do with it, you know, but the, like that to me would be a no brainer if, you know, if, if like John Bon Jovi wanted to, you put it in. Uh, Joseph says George Strait. And, you know. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. I'm not a big country guy. You know, you the concert you went to was country though, right, Vince? Oh yeah. Oh, big time. Yeah. Jeremy. Time. Jeremy says Paul McCartney. Alan says Elton John. Vigo says Taylor Swift. I've heard Taylor Swift. And like as far as the younger ones, I think that she's probably someone who could sell it out. My daughters you know? would like to go see that. That's yeah. for sure. Now, personally, you know, again, like Springsteen would be at the top of my list. I would put the Foo Fighters second on my list. Hmm. Problem with the Foo Fighters is, you know, like like Dave likes to, you know, drop some language every now and then. So I don't know how that would go over, you know, at Notre Dame Stadium and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Robert says Kid Rock. BVG should be the coach, says Roger Waters. You know, again, I, I don't know. I don't know 
the ability to fill a football stadium for you know Roger Waters right now. You know, Pink Floyd yeah. back in the day, you know, like I don't know. I, I, I just feel like there are a select like you two would be a natural, I think, as well. Now that you know, does you two, you know, wanna wanna come out? Springsteen's going on tour next. He's actually starting his world tour this fall, I believe, and they just announced his North American tour dates for next summer. And you know, there's some they've only they don't have the full summer filled up. So Springsteen next summer. Mm. I wouldn't mind that. That's not bad. Yeah, yeah that's not bad. I like Paul McCartney. I like that one a lot. I mean, I know he's getting up there in age, but I, he could still rock a concert. I think I think that would be a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah. And I wouldn't mind seeing, you know, like, you know, if it was Taylor Swift, you know, like like Ed Sheeran, you know, like Taylor Swift and Ed Sheeran, something like, you know, okay. like, you know like maybe get some multiples in, you know, not necessarily. Can get Justin Timberlake in there too? Yeah, why not? Why not? Taylor he's Swift has some good, good songs. Though, right? Yeah. yeah. No, it would. It would Especially actually make a lot of sense. Younger, get a younger crowd in there. I think right. you can get a lot of people in there for Taylor Swift. All right. There's a guy in Kansas who has a collection of over 400 full-size college football helmets. Crazy. So my question to you, Vince, what's the biggest collection of anything that you have? Besides children? <laughs> yes, besides children, things you actually maybe can buy, or you know, well, I guess you know, <laughs> legally. Yes, thank you. <laughs> uh, oh man, I you know I when I was a kid, I had like a keychain collection. So like everywhere uh, we went, I would get a keychain for it, and I had this big ring that I put them on, and I just hung them up in my room. So that was a big thing for me for a long time. Somebody asked about my cup. Yes, it's a Cowboys cup. So, yes, <laughs> uh, they did. So that was my biggest collection uh, that I've ever had. So you know, not too bad. And I, I haven't done that in you know since I was a kid. Uh, so I, I haven't really collected anything as an adult. Uh, never really, never really gotten into that. Yeah, I've still got like in a in a chest in my closet. I've got like. You know, like the books full of all the baseball cards, even though they're not worth anything anymore. But, you know, like all the cards from when I was a kid, you know, like in the sleeves and all that stuff. I've still got them. So that's probably the biggest collection I have of uh, of anything is okay. uh, is the baseball card collection. Yeah, still I've still got around. my baseball cards, too. But yeah. like I, I didn't it wasn't necessarily a situation where I was looking for specific ones. I was just like collecting them in mass and then like, you know, right. putting them in books and stuff. Right. So. There could be, you know, a million dollar card in there. I have no idea because I've never gone through them. I have no idea what's in do you, there. Do you have like a collection of anything Notre Dame related? Not, I wouldn't say a collection. Like I've got a brick from the old stadium when they were doing the or the very first renovation. I, yeah. I broke in a long time ago uh, back when the, you know, security wasn't a real thing. And I like took grass from the 50 yard line and I put that in like a little baggie and I had it hanging on the brick for a long time when I was a kid. Um, other than that, Notre Dame wise, not really, you know, I've got the little mini helmet back there. Um, that That's about it. Notre Dame wise, outside of just a ton of pictures from like big games and things like that, you know, but Chris, Chris uh, was, is no, it's not giant nation. I'm Ooh. sorry. He, he's, he's calling me out of my Cowboys. Good luck with Ouch. Danny Dimes. Good luck with another season of Danny Dimes. <laughs> 
going to run that division again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think the only, like, the biggest collection of anything Notre Dame related I have is just, like, I've always, like, kept most of my credentials throughout the years, you know, for, like, 20-plus years of, of doing this. And I don't think I've kept every single one of them, but I've kept a pretty good majority of them. So Look I've got you. like a couple bags of, of uh, like the old credentials. Some so of them look, look pretty cool. So. Looking back, I should, probably should have done that. You know what I mean? But, yeah. you know, because way back when we started doing it, it was just those little like uh, cardboard tags. Cardboard tags. I've got a lot of those around. Yeah. And and those were like, I mean, gosh, you could just hand them off to somebody in the, the concourse and then they could go up. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? And not saying I ever did that. But, uh, you know, th- those things were a joke as far as like any kind of security. Now they got your picture on them and, uh, you know, it's very official and all that. So you can't really do that anymore. But, yeah, back in the day, man, those I, I enjoy. Well, I also like the fact I could put it on my belt loop. Now you got to wear it around your neck and it gets in your food. And yeah, that's good. true. That's true. You know, speaking of food, last yeah. question, last question for tonight. OK, what do you call mm-hmm. it when you cook something? outside on the grill this is not a trick question okay but you know people in different parts of the country i think refer to this as something different okay so you go outside right you light up the grill whether it's gas or charcoal or whatever so what are you doing when you are cooking something on the grill what are you doing i'm grilling you're grilling i'm grilling that's it very simple That's where I am too. A lot of people call it barbecuing. Yes, that's and not to me. me. To me, it's not barbecuing unless you are like you have a smoker and you're smoking meat that becomes barbecue afterwards. Right. Okay. Using barbecue sauce, you know, right. the whole the whole thing, right? <laughs> I see. See, Vigo, drunk Vigo says barbecue, bro. See, I'm not I'm not in on that. I'm I'm <laughs> grilling. Johnny yep. S. Johnny, Johnny S. S. Johnny S is where it's at. He says it's called grilling. That's right. And I've lived in another part of the country that um, like whenever like they would do uh, like when they would cook hamburgers, mm-hmm. they would call it a hamburger fry, even though they were doing it on a grill. They would call it a burger like a burger. Really? Fry. And it's like, what? <laughs> You're not frying it. Frying it is like, you know, when you throw your French fries in the big pot of yeah. you know, bat of hot grease. You know, you're huh. not frying anything. That's yes. interesting. Now, that, I'm not sure how you say JPEF. JPEF? Okay. Or JFEF, maybe? Mr. Barbecue Martin. is the food, and he is correct on that. And, and he, he also said you grill the barbecue. Or I, I thought he said you grill on the barbecue. So like people call it, people call the device the barbecue. I've heard that before. Right. I call it the grill because Michael I'm doing, says burger burn. <laughs> I've never heard that one before. I'm doing nothing special on the grill. You know what I mean? I'm just putting it over the fire. That's right. Making sure it doesn't burn and I'm getting it off. Like I I am, I, I am grilling. Yep, that's yes, right. I have the least amount of skill involved when it comes to the grill. I can I can cook you up a great steak, a great burger. That's about it. I I'm not a smoker. I use gas. I don't use charcoal. I I'm I'm the easy way, baby. I'm the easy way. That's that's how I grill. I still we need to talk Brian into, you know, cuz I, I I don't think you've ever tried my brisket, but I smoked mm. me a mean brisket. And See, you, you've taken it up a, a notch. I've got very particular in-laws, you know, because they come from near Kansas City, you know, one of the barbecue capitals 
of the world and you know they're very they're big barbecue snobs no brisket is not grilling i'm sorry michael brisket is not grilling if, if you're grilling if you're literally grilling a brisket you might as well just be eating a big wad of beef jerky because that sucker is going to be tough you got to smoke the brisket for hours in there get it nice and tender and all that kind of good stuff but yeah so i smoke a i smoke a mean brisket okay. i think we need to get i think we need to get brian to invest in a brisket i will smoke it and then we'll you know we'll partake nice. all together the I, nation i see actual barbecue i see a tailgate coming up that's what i see there you we'll, go the brisket for the tailgate first come first serve boom that's right there it is that's right all right so I think we answered a few questions tonight. Yeah, I think we did. That was fun. That was good. I like that. I like that I've been waiting for the grilling question for like weeks, I think. I, it's yeah, always I been there and we've never gotten to it. So I know. I'm glad we were able to get to it tonight. That was another one that literally got pushed to the back burner. So <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's right. And with that, we'll just call it a night. What do you say? I think that's a good idea. <laughs> All right. Have a great night. We will talk to you tomorrow. One more show this week. Of course, we'll finish up the week with some Notre, some more Notre Dame discussion. We're we're getting close, man. We're like we're like I said, we're churning through the middle of July now. We're uh, we're almost through this. Just a few weeks to go, and and uh, we're going to be ready for get us a training camp started and and oh, everything man. else. But uh, Chris. Uh, Chris says he's been listening since 2020 and it's been awesome. You guys make following the season so much fun. Looking forward to hopefully meeting you guys someday. All right. Sounds good to me. All right. Have a good night. Again, don't forget, hit the like button, subscribe, follow, rate, comment, all that kind of stuff on your podcast. It's much appreciated. Helps out Irish Breakdown and IB Nation. We will talk to you tomorrow on IB Nation Sports Talk. Mark Chapman, welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. The 
each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.